0: And here we are. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to RPG R&D. It's good to see you virtually. <laughs> it's, it's been a minute. Um, Thank you all so much for joining us. My name is Jess Geyer, and I'm here with my co-host, Craig Campbell. Hello. And, our and my special... siren. <laughs> oh, yes. That special guest co-host, The Siren. And third special guest co-host, Sharon Biswas. Nice to meet you. And thank you so much for coming along on the show. Uh, why don't you introduce yourself and tell us about yourself?
1: Yeah. Um, so my name is Sharong Biswas. I am a game designer, interactive artist, and writer. Um, uh, I currently live in Manhattan. Um I uh, I'm very freelance so I do a lot of people like what what organization are you part of and I'm like none uh, except that I am also the um game artist in residence at the Museum of the Moving Image right now so I guess I'm part of them and uh, I do some teaching I'm teaching at Fordham and NYU right now I've taught at Bard before um and uh, I do a lot of a lot of different things in the game space um in different uh, games media um yeah
0: That I mean that sounds so Lauded and professional, and now I don't know what I'm going to say. <laughs> Sorry, what was that? A game designer in residence?
1: Uh, yeah, what well, technically, because it's an art museum, I'm the game artist in residence. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, <laughs> but, uh, games, uh, but yeah, art.
1: Yeah, there you go. So, uh, so yeah, I've actually been working with the MOMI for a long time. They're a really cool museum. They were the first fine arts museum in the world to showcase games ever um, in the 70s. Um, and I've been doing work for game stuff for them for a while. They them in conjunction with the Jim Henson Foundation commissioned me and my design partner, Nick Leary to make the Dark Crystal Age of Resistance live action role playing game that we ran two months before the world shut down. Um, so, uh, they're, they're really cool about bringing analog games as well as digital games in the fine art space and talking about that. Um, they're, yeah, really cool.
0: That sounds awesome. Excellent. Uh, the dark crystal thing, not everything else. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> I'm, I'm really, I'm really excited about a dark crystal art. That sounds great. Uh, <laughs> well, uh, Craig, do you want to talk about what our show is and, and kind of how we're going to approach this
2: today? Sure. The uh, the basic concept here is we're going to hit on three topics. The first one always deals with GMing in some uh, regard. Uh, the second one deals with game design, um, specifically RPG design, in some regard. And then there's a, a, you know, a little something else that we talk about, and that's usually something that's brought to us by our guest. Um, so we'll be getting to that in a little bit. Uh, to start with, we're going to talk a little bit about GMing, something that I know um, certainly there are many GMs who have... Um, don't have a great deal of experience, or feel perhaps that they're not really well prepared to deal with because it's that touchy-feely, emotional stuff like GMing romance um, and lovey-dovey and schmoopy and uh, you know interludes between characters and flirty eyes and um, and love. Um, so uh, this was something that kind of came about um, talking to Sharon about as something that uh, that you're um, kind of knowledgeable of and have dealt with quite a bit um so uh, let's talk about it from the gming perspective like uh what's what are some some things that gms can do to help in uh, kind of inject that sort of role playing into the game and uh, and do so in respectful ways um and also just kind of from the the perspective of like well how do you how do you do it like how do you improvise and deal with something that isn't just like you know killing monsters or exploring um haunted houses or something where it starts to kind of get into the human element.
1: Yeah, I mean, well, the first um, uh, thing is obviously to ask your players if this is something they're interested in, right, in their game, because um, not everyone wants that in the game. They might be like, nah, you know what, I had a hard day of work. All I really want to do is kill Cyclopses, right? (laughs) I don't really want to think about that. Not at all, right? And that's perfectly valid way of playing. Um, But um, you might be surprised. Um, Sometimes players might think that they don't want it and you can you can like you know suggest like hey let's try it out um uh and you can like you know suggest it obviously if they say no i absolutely don't want it you know don't spring it on them that then they won't have a good experience and then you won't either right so the first thing is always to like check in um uh is it something people are interested in often they'll be like sure let's give it a try uh and then and then you can do that now um there are a couple of ways of going about this right uh, but all of it is related to uh, all of it is, is it For all the ways of going about it, it's important to to make sure the expectations of the player are met, right? Um, This sort of thing can be a sensitive topic for a lot of people for various reasons, right? And we don't want to jump on the easy bandwagon and say, oh, people are sex negative, that's why they don't like romance, right? It can also be like, you know what, this person has a bad divorce coming along. Or this person, you know, there are lots of reasons people don't want certain kinds of romance showing up in a game, right? So, um, when I was playing um, with uh, Grant, Grant, uh, I know so many Grants. Grant, who you just spoke to, Craig. Oh my God. Ellis. Ellis, yes. I was like, no, not Grant Howard. That's the British Grant. Um, uh, uh, Grant Ellis and I played a Dark Crystal game. Um, Not Dark Crystal. Uh, We were just talking about Dark Crystal. Dark Eye game, the German d 20 role playing game. Uh, Our GM at the start asked us, hey, guys, uh, for content warning, how do you all feel about betrayal, right? Are you okay with major characters that you like betraying you? And I said no. I do not want that. That will make me sad in my heart, right? So that kind of thing, you want to check in with your player. Like, hey, if we have romance in the game, are you okay with your romantic people being put in danger? Are, are you okay with them possibly betraying you? All kinds of things like that, right? It doesn't mean you have to give them spoilers, but it's good to check in because someone might be really like, oh, I don't really want betrayal because that happened to me once, right? I took my mom to watch a play all about like infidelity once and it really triggered her. And She's like, why did we watch this play? And I'm like, oh, no. you, you, you picked the play? And she's like, oh, right. I'm like, sorry, right? So you don't want that to happen. So that is uh, the first step. And then after that, it becomes like people feel that GMing romance is this like, oh, my God, scary thing. No, you Everyone who's GMed has GMed human relationships, right? They're NPCs who act a certain way, they have a certain motivation, uh, they want something from you, you know, that. those techniques... Are all in the toolbox, right? Except that you think of it like, oh, what does this person want from you? He wants to be romantic with you, right? That thing. I'm, I know that you want to be careful and not be like he's like creepy or he's like stalking you. I'm just saying he because I tend to be romantic with people with he's, but it can be she or they or whatever, right? Um so so. It, it it's don't be freaked out by oh romance and remember romance doesn't mean you have to be like and then this item of clothing comes off and then you do this sex act and then your tongue goes there right like that isn't necessary in romance game it could be present romance game right i Co edited a whole book of LARPs about that, right? Um, but um, you you can, like, there are lots of ways, like, oh, great. we you, the, 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 you don't even have to mention um, explicit sexuality in the game. You can be like, great, we go on a date. Awesome, next day. But including um, romantic elements can be a powerful way of, of, because RPGs ultimately, or game, analog games, if you want to be general, are ultimately about. All art ultimately exists to elicit some kind of emotional or intellectual response in the recipient, right? Um, It can be the excitement of getting a critical hit. It can be the the glorious feeling of, yeah, we've saved Avernus uh, from the depths of hell. It can be any of those feelings, right? And including romantic element is just another uh, another color in your palette of emotional slash intellectual responses you can elicit from the player and it will it can i don't say will. it can make the game richer it can make uh, npcs more memorable it can make uh, players care about things more it can also change um, like change up the game a little bit, right? It's not monotonous as much anymore. Not to say that, you know, you all run monotonous games, but it does add a bit of color that's different. It's also very humorous. Everyone loves rom-coms, right? And we all know uh, RPGs devolve into comedies every single time, right? Even if you're running the most uh, horror, even if Bluebeard's Bride, right? I run, I run Bluebeard's Bride 17 times. Every single time there have been giggles, right? Um, rom-com stuff is funny and fun, and you can have delightful situations at the table of like, oh no, ha ha ha, he, he, I don't know, he did some silly thing on our date, right? So, so I encourage everyone to do that. And I've been talking for a long time.
0: <laughs> uh, one thing I wanted to say uh, there about like, you don't, you don't, you don't need to be graphic at all with your romance, even if there is sex involved in your mm-hmm. romance in your games. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that I have. Done. Like I will, as a player, um, I'll 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 get up to the point where I'm like, okay, now I'm I know I'm just gonna make the table uncomfortable. So the the keyword is fade to black, and it's it's wonderful. You know, the camera pans over the fireplace and it yeah. fades to black. I was <laughs> I
2: was I was thinking the exact same thing. Like you can have things that are kind of veils. Like you know, like mm-hmm. when we yeah. when we get to the act of sex, it becomes you know the music swells, everything goes soft focus, wispy curtains flutter and it's the next day.
1: <laughs> yeah, and I'm known for someone who talks about sex a lot, right? I've gotten grants to make games about sex. Um but like even when I when I play with people I'm not very comfy talking about about that with or I know they'll be comfy mm-hmm. with it, I'm like great and then we like you know go into the bedroom and you hear cool noises. Yeah, <laughs> right? Yeah, um, like
0: summarizing. Summarizing is is a wonderful way like you see skill. that in 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 romance novels even. Not every romance novel details every little single thing. Just
1: bought for Pride Month, some new cool books. And there's Ooh. some great fade to black sex scenes and series bred in other lands. And a bisexual main character. Um, oh, I need that. Though. It's so good. <laughs> Assign it to your students, Jess. It's so good. It's It uh, upends the tropes of fantasy novels. Um, but um, And another thing is, like we talked about this idea of discussion, right? Uh, discussion its another way of saying have good calibration tools, right? And whether that means you explicitly use calibration tools like John Stavropoulos' X-Card, where people are like, X-Card, or if your table is more like, let's chat about it at the start in an informal way, and then if we need to change it, we can chat about it in the middle of the game, right? So that is usually a good thing to have because different people, because because in our culture, um, uh, sexuality is like uh, demonized a little bit. Um, different people have different levels of comfort with different things, uh, and like I said, you never know someone's history of romance and stuff. So just make sure that people at your table are comfy enough in some way to recalibrate the experience if they're feeling something. Somebody, "Hey." And, and it doesn't have to be because they're icked out or they don't want to talk. It could be like, hey, can we get back to fighting Beholders? We've been going on dates for a really long time now. I want to roll some dice right now, you know? Uh, that's, again, a valid emotional reaction. If you're sitting down to play Shadow of the Demon Lord, you expect to be fighting lots of monsters who are evil and gross, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and if the expectation is overturned, having calibration ways to calibrate is a good thing.
0: Yeah. Uh or maybe maybe we want to seduce the demon lord. Who knows?
1: Like those aren't explicit mechanics in the game, but you know what? Uh all no game designer I've ever met is like you cannot make house rules, right? Um so, um, so uh yeah. One thing I'll be is uh, be um conscientious if we're having like PC PC romance, mm-hmm. right? Because um, you know, you just wanna make sure that um People don't feel awkward around each other. So just be extra observant and actually, hey, are we cool with this? And, you know, use your calibration tools of good communication or X card or whatever to make sure that's okay. I know some people who have very strong boundaries about role playing romance. Like I was in a LARP once where someone like, hey, um, do not role play romance with me, please. Um, That is a boundary that my wife and I have. Right. Um, and we're like, great. So make sure, you know, just everyone's comfy. And if you're, ex- and, and, and if you want to play ro- there are like romance specifically, there are a number of games that are explicitly about romance, right? So Emily care Boss's romance trilogy, uh, is three RPGs plus hacks all about romance. Right? Um, the uh, anthology I co edited with um, Lucian Khan, Honey and Hot Wax, an anthology of erotic art games, is an anthology of role playing games about sex, right? Um, what else? There, there are a number. Um, Blue Rose, right? Uh, RPG has a lot of uh, discussion and, and talk about romance. Um, Lucian Khan's Visigoths versus Mall Goths has a lot of stuff about crushing on, on Goths. I mean,
0: um, even Apocalypse World has.
1: Uh, so like, much. Yeah. Yeah. All, yeah. Plenty of,
2: plenty of sexy. Yeah. Romance. Almost yeah.
1: all yeah. Apocalypse worlds and PBTA games have some sort of romance element. Like Monster Hearts is really famous for it. It's in the title of the game. Um, Masks, a new generation is really good with romance stuff. I always have teen crushes when I run Monster Hearts. I'm uh, sorry, Masks. Um, and, mm-hmm. and and don't, also don't, like that techniques that I've seen GMs use where for one session they will swap system to do a specific thing right and then get back to their normal session uh, later on right that's also an option so if you want to play with consent and boundaries and and what it means to play with those maybe your i don't know your cyberpunk heroes uh, you use you use the rules of Emily Care Boss one of Emily Care Boss's games for that one session when you're like a, i don't know futuristic sex party, um, use those rules for that day and then go back to your cyberpunk red or whatever you're using for the rest of the game, so.
2: Something I think that is worth keeping an eye out for too is um, uh, how sexual orientation is, is handled at the table. And um, you know, some people might be okay with romance, but they're not going to be necessarily okay mm-hmm. with, with portraying romance of, of certain gender combinations. Um, Some people, you know, you might find yourself surprised to have, like, a person at your table that, as far as you know and everything that they've told you about them, is that they are straight, Um, and they're playing a male, you know, a a man, a masculine character, and they're getting into a romance situation with another masculine character, and for all you know, they're using the role-playing game as an opportunity to test how they feel about that. Um... And so it's it's doubly important if you see, like, you know, potentially something that's popping up that makes you go, hmm, I wonder, you know, I'm not going to ask them. It's not my place to ask. But, like, I'm going to be extra sensitive and careful about, like, they might be actually trying to test something out. Because we talked about on this podcast, uh, on, this, on this show a while back, was how people use role-playing games. Um, and, and role-playing games are just extensions of playing pretend as a little kid. That you're using it away as, you know, oftentimes people use it as a way to to try out different aspects of their personality, to figure out who they are, to explore different things about themselves, and that can come in the form of sexuality and romance and how you relate to other people um, of different genders and and uh, you know sexual orientations and presentations and I, so forth.
1: I've also had like uh, people, so I GM a lot, right? Like I, I GM professionally for Magpie, I GM at the museum, I, I GM for my classes and stuff, right? And I've had <clears throat> excuse me, um, people be like, oh, I want to play like a Bisexual character, but I'm like worried about because I'm not bisexual I'm like dude There's no queer police who's gonna come at the table and be like, oh, we're not like Scott Pilgrim, right? Where the vegan police come and like steal your powers or whatever um, so I, I I always say that and, and um, uh, James Mendez Hodes always talks about this right in his talks where he says Don't worry. It is more important that you have good faith in trying to portray the other than you like get everything like right, right. And also, like, what what would you mean get everything right? Queer people are not the same, right? They're like Caitlyn Jenner is a queer person. I don't like her at all, right? Um, Not that I know her, but I don't like her politics anyway. um, But um, like, if you if you're like, oh, I want to play a lesbian character, great, just. Play a character, right? Just, just play a human. Like they're lesbian, sure. They'll fall in love with a woman. Great. Just, just go with it. You don't have to be like, oh, but would lesbians sit like this? Oh, don't worry about it. Like, <laughs> right? Like, like people have been like, do I? I I'm gonna do. Rachel, like, you don't have to read, um, like, you know, uh, the history of Stonewall to play a queer character, right? Not at all. Just play a queer character. Whatever.
0: But you should still know the history of Stonewall. That is,
1: like, uh, <laughs> history is a good thing to know as a person, uh, but you don't have to extra research that for your RPG, right? People that, yeah. uh, someone said, oh, I'm going to play a Haitian character in Urban Shadows. I'm like, awesome. And then like, I'm going to do a lot of research. I'm like, if you want to, I'm not going to ask you about your research. That is your prerogative. Um, I'm not going to be like, tell me, did you research about Creole languages and how it differ- differs from a pidgin language? Like, psh, no.
0: One thing that I think that um, I, I want to make sure that we cover before we move on to topics is the idea of romance in Bleed. And we've talked about Bleed in LARPs before, um, Yeah. but I feel like when it comes to, of all the spectrum of human emotion, romance, I think, has the most danger for Bleed. And I've been on the receiving end and the giving end on this. Mm -hmm. In LARPs and um, it's really something to be cautious of so uh, not only monitoring I think with the other people at the table and the people you're playing with but also internally monitoring yourself Mm -hmm. to make sure that you aren't getting some real life emotions mixed in there. So, so so important
1: I, I, I want to push on that a bit because um when i hear a lot of people talk about um talk about bleed though the, these words like danger often come up right um and i, and I want to make sure that people think about it, like a lot of people play for bleed right bleed is not something that's dangerous bleed is just when your real and game emotions get mixed up with each other right and so i don't want uh, y'all who are watching to be like, oh bleed that's a bad scary thing it, it can be but it can also be a wonderful thing um uh, Sarah Lynn bowman uh, writes a lot about bleed and how it can be like therapeutic and not just that like like all of us have a familiar feeling of bleed right if you have ever like squeezed at like a ship in a movie or something, right? That has elements of bleed in it, right? We're like, oh my god, I'm actually feeling this feeling about these characters. or like when when a beloved character dies and you feel sad, that is a a, a sort of uh, akin to bleed, right? This isn't a bad thing. We don't say, oh no, there's a terrible emotion. It's dangerous and horrible, right? So just keep that in mind and like. I love playing romances and games. I like the feeling, the, the like sort of bleedy feeling of oh, oh my god! And again, but of course, again it depends on the person, right? It, like I don't want that with this person. I want that with this person, right? So, so just uh, uh, like just be aware that this is a thing that is possible, uh, and just uh, if you're an adult. I mean, even if you're not adults, adult, try and work on strategies to manage that because that's what we do as humans. When when emotions we don't want come to us, we try and find strategies to manage them.
0: Yeah, I, I thank you, thank you for that. That that was a wonderful clarifying statement. <laughs> uh, catharsis is is one of the best parts of games. So like that part of that that's.
1: Yeah, and like I'm 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 making a game uh, right now uh, called the Gourmet's Guide to Alchemical Boyfriends, right? Um, and it's a game that you play with a charcuterie plate in front of you that you have to eat while listening to a pre-recorded audio. Um, and the, one of the impetuses for the game is the plural of impetus impetuses. Wow, I have never said the plural you know of that I'm... word. Jess, you're you're a writing teacher. <laughs>
2: Well, it's it's okay to just take a stab at it. I had to learn the, the imp, plural of apocalypse. Imp, at one point. Imp, I, impita, 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 possibly.
1: I <laughs> I'm a fun believer in neo plurals. I want to make the plural of album to become alba because I think it's a fun word. It's so. <laughs> is <laughs> great. Um, so what the, one of the impetuses for this game is I want to make a game uh, where where you make a fictional character that you then fall in love with, right? Mm. So my one of my guiding questions is can I make a game where you create a character that's not your you're not playing that character? that you then fall in love with by the end of the game. So, um, and, I, and that, I'm clear about that. And yes, maybe they will be bleed, but like that's the point of the game, right? Mm-hmm. Also you eat lots of tasty charcuterie while playing it. So,
2: <laughs> all right, well, there we go. All yeah. sorts of advice and thoughts on, on GMing romance and bringing that into the game. Which is um, a
0: really good advice because I have a, an NPC I'm playing in the game with my actual fiance who his character likes. I'm like, well, this is gonna be really fun. Me playing the MPC of my romantic partner in real life.
1: That's awesome. And like for some people that might be the opposite of fun, right? So when I (laughs) one of the games in Honey and Hot Wax, the the one that I made, uh, is about frat boys, um who are like sexually attracted to each other and maybe romantic each other. They keep having sex and never talking about it. And the game, uh, part of the uh, uh, the book is some of the games ask the players to perform real life sex act on each other while playing, right? Um, and so when I, was te- when I made the game, I was talking to our partner about it, he's like, I absolutely do not want to play this game with you, right? And it wasn't because he doesn't want sex with me, He's my partner for many years. Um, sorry, I shouldn't assume. He's my partner for many years, and we've had sex for many of those years. Um, but um, um, he just didn't want to play. But that is not, His idea of fun was not role-playing two characters we will then be having some about He's like, nope, I don't want to. The mindset will be weird. I don't want to do that, right? Well, for some people, uh, like Jess, might gain a lot out of playing this romance relationship with someone who is a real-life partner so don't assume that about people if you're gearing I mean, like, that oh you both are married you yeah. want to like you know so mm-hmm.
0: well let's um before we talk about romance and rpgs the entire night
1: uh, which I'm sure I have definitely gonna, done that before so, yeah. I'm sure
0: we could and I, I'm so much more interested in it now I, I realized too in this conversation that I've actually written a romance solo or duo RPG and didn't realize it but <laughs> our next our next segment <laughs> let me just segue here very hard left to hiring artists for your games and uh, this is uh, a topic that I have only a little bit of experience with because i've
2: only done this now for two games
1: yeah I've done uh, like three or four times only yeah
2: but craig i think you've done it a little bit more i had somebody ask me how many games i've made um in a stream earlier today and i said I, i'm not sure <laughs> <laughs> i had to sit down and count them up um so yeah I've, I've hired artists for you know a dozen game products um so uh you know there's there's and we, we can't cover everything that there, that there is to deal with, um, with with hiring artists, but here's, here's some some basics, I guess, for somebody who's like designing a game and looking to, to put some art into the game. Um, is art necessary? Not necessarily. It, uh, you can make a game that doesn't have any art in it. You can do kind of cool graphic stuff that helps to kind of break the game up, especially if the game is shorter. People aren't really going to necessarily miss that there's not an art piece in it. Um, you can do cool stuff with covers that don't even have art pieces in them. Um, Your typography stuff, yeah. Typ- typography, the graphic elements, all the stuff that you can do. Um, that said, if you're going to to have art, it's, it be kind of kind of becomes a question of um, uh, what kind of style you're looking for, how much you need, and 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 then how about you know how to go about getting it. Um, now we've touched briefly in the past too on uh, there's a lot of. Um, Artwork and photography and so forth that you can get that's uh, royalty free. That's available via you know a variety of websites. Some places that where people literally you like create these things and they put it up there for you know for you for, for people to use. Other stuff that's just historic.
1: Um, a, lot a lot of museums have museum portions uh, museums,
2: Like if you wanted to do an Elizabethan era game, you can probably find plenty of Elizabethan <laughs>
1: yeah of actual
2: paintings that you can just use straight up. Now if you have Elizabethans fighting aliens you might need an artist. Um, <laughs> although I will point out that uh, there's a game called Godlike that did an excellent job of, um, it's it's about playing um, super-powered people in World War II, where all of their artwork is um, period photography that has been altered to show super-powered people in it. So it's like <laughs> literal photography from the era that they've been like, okay, now here's a person flying carrying a tank.
0: nice, nice. <laughs>
2: Um, and, and, it looks like that photography and it's all grainy and, you know, um, but anyway, so it, you know, a question of how much do you need, Jess, what, do you, do you, do you have a thought on that? I, I know where I kind of fall. I've seen, you know, different games vary. Like there, there are well-known yeah. games that are just chock full of art and there are well-known games that don't have a terribly large amount of art.
0: Yeah. I think a lot of players and people who are purchasing games kind of expect um, when at least when they get like a physical book, they're expecting um, art to break up the text on the page in a lot of ways. Um, I'm a journalism teacher. And one of the things I work with my students on is, okay, well, you can't just have a whole page of text. What would well, that do text. to you as a reader? It you, Sometimes you need that visual aid. A lot of people will read the headline, look at the picture, read the caption and they're done. Um, and when that comes to games, a lot of people, when they are looking to purchase a game, if they're picking something off the shelf, they are going to look at the cover. They're going to flip it open, maybe read a couple passages, but they're going to really look at that art to kind of get a, a an idea of what the style of this game is and, and some of the things that are happening. So um, I think for um, for Moonpunk, we had. Oh, I can't remember exactly how many pi- uh, pieces of. I think it was like between 14 and 16 that we had commissioned Um, Alex would know better but (laughs) um, we wanted something to feel we wanted those um, commission pieces of art to uh, reflect the like the punk style as well as like this spaceship kind of like people doing weird stuff on the moon um, to give people the idea of like okay here are some imaginative scenes to help evoke what we're going for. And then on pages where I felt like I still needed stuff to break up the text, to add some interest to the page, to gather the I and your nice little S curve on the page, um, good elements of graphic design. um, I went to the NASA Flickr Commons, which is also royalty free, grabbed some of those, did a little bit of editing and slapped them in there. Um, uh, But I have, you know, a modicum of Photoshop skills that I was able to use that with. Um, so I would say, for me, a good a good starting point, if you're just like trying to put numbers to this, would be an element of art every other page or every three pages. And I would say that that's actually like a, a, a pretty small amount. I think you always need some sort of um, graphic design element. You should please don't ever put like just text on a page yeah, and
2: there's there's no <sighs> wrong answer to this question like yeah. you can make it work with a lot of art mm-hmm. or with a very little art i mean i think if you've got a if you've got if you've got two pages that has no art on it and you flip the page and there's still two pages with no art on it there should probably be some art on that next flip now that's average too that's like across mm-hmm. the you know like there might be certain chapters that have more art like you know like uh you know it's in certain games like monster area monster sections of the book notorious for a lot of art yeah. like a lot of times there's an illustration for every monster or at least for you know a good many of them um the gm section might not have as many pieces of art just a handful of pieces that kind of help the gm well, like kind of, the kind the of keep spells. the world in mind as they're reading in it but it's not something that players are necessarily looking at too much whereas the player section again might have a little more art um i think with with the stuff that i've worked on i've i've varied like you know roughly a piece every four pages sometimes it's more often sometimes it's less often again depending on the chapter that you're in um, if you have a like one of the things I I did with capers and murders and acquisitions would I would have you know multiple pages of stat blocks like here's just a bunch of different NPCs that are ready to go right so I will, it would be like you know pages of that, you know some some of that and then every so often there'd be like a half page of just interesting NPCs doing interesting things that helped um, just kind of like like here's here's what like those NPCs might look like, and here's like a variety of different types of people. Um, but like when it's the when it's the stat block section, that's like something that nobody's going to sit there and just read from front to back necessarily. It's something that they're going to go to for reference occasionally, so you can get away with less art.
1: And there are ways to like cheat in ways, right? So uh, when Pelgrane published Honey and Hot Wax, we we had a certain budget because we got a grant to make the book, right? And we said. Um, It is more, for us, it is more important to have a high quality layout and graphic design than it is to have illustrations. Mm -hmm. Uh, For a short thing like that, um, like for example, Dialect does this really well. Dialect has a a few really well chosen art pieces, but a lot of it is just text typography and layout design that's really really gorgeous right and it's
0: a beautiful book it's that book very, is
1: gorgeous very pretty and one of the ways that we used um like, because remember Nota had just said specifically like visual elements right so one thing we did is we commissioned a cover that had multiple elements in it right a cover that was busy because then what we did we then Took out elements from that cover, and our layout designer took those elements out and put them into the pages, right? And there you get you you have a slightly more expensive illustration, but then you did we didn't need many more um, illustrations because our layout person could use like could cheat right could use bits of our major illustration in other parts of the game, and I think the game looks pretty good, right? Um, actually, I think it looks very good, right? I'm gonna I'm gonna say it. Um, <laughs> And so those are ways you can make uh, get a lot of bang for your buck. And, and I want to uh, note something, though, is when I say get bang for your buck does not mean haggle with your illustrator mm-hmm. to go down on their price. Uh, illustrators are woefully underpaid for the amount of time and labor it takes to do their work. So please never ask, is it actually can you do it for less? Maybe you can be like, "What is the my, this is my budget, can you put this much commensurate time for my budget? But do not say, oh, if they quote a price to you, don't say, can I pay you less? You can't say, can you put less effort and make a smaller piece, right? Yeah. You, it, people, I, I found people, some to often give least respect to illustrators when it comes to like labor compensation. Um, do not be that person respect your illustrators in terms of labor compensation
2: but there is something that you can do too with with the negotiation with the illustrator which I did for um, a game which was um, the 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 artist works was like the, the 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 art that I initially saw there's that I kind of really dug and they worked in a number of styles right and the art that I really dug Um, was going to be pricey. And I was like, that's just not going to make my budget work. And so Mm -hmm. I talked with the artist and said, well, what, you know, what other, you know, you you do this and you do this and you do this and you do this. Like, here's what my budget is looking like kind of in this range. And I'm going to need this many pieces. Like what style, uh, because I don't know how long it takes to Mm -hmm. make different types of art. Mm -hmm. And, and, and the artist ended up making, you know, doing a particular style that was less time consuming yeah um, so they were still able to do the fun little rpg job
1: um, right
2: for for less money that was something that they could turn over more quickly and then you know that where, where they're you know they're like bread and butter like where they really make their money to live off of um is in 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 the more expensive styles where they've got
1: clients um who that's afford respectful more. respectful negotiation right if that's not negotiation where like, i want to pay you less that's like how can we do something that respects your effort and time and my budget mm-hmm. uh, in a respectful way, right? That's that's great, you know? And if you've, yeah, got,
2: if you've got your heart set on like, I want a, a full page piece at the beginning of every chapter and then half page pieces all over the place, maybe that becomes a half page piece at the beginning of every chapter and quarter page pieces all over the place.
1: That are black and white or something, yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's one of the problems is that a lot of game designers aren't also artists. I. In, I'm not a, an artist in, in like a, in a, in like a visual illustration kind of sense. Uh, I don't know how long it takes for somebody to produce a piece of artwork. I don't know how complicated things are. Uh, for me, uh, as as a person who's very dedicated to making sure my 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 freelancers get a, a good wage, a living wage at least on on my commissions, uh, I. I worry that I'm going to short sell them because I know so many illustrators will short sell themselves because it's kind of a competitive market. And a lot of these people are trying to make a living doing it and, you know, getting commissions means making a living. Um, But overall, you should trust your artist um, to know how much time things are going to take and what they value their work as. Trust Mm. them on it.
2: And even if you do come to an agreement at one point, like just something to keep in mind, I've been trying to do this across all of my different um, freelancer, you know, types of freelancers that I hire is that like try to improve a little bit every time. Mm -hmm. Like try to be prepared to offer a little bit more and and get like you know, because even if you if even if you hit a rate that the artist is happy with, they feel like they're actually getting paid, they're still probably kind of getting underpaid. Um, mm-hmm. because if, if artwork was something that just anybody could produce, then everybody would be producing. It. Um, and especially if you're looking for something in a style, that's very kind of unique or, um, uh, you know, yeah. that's that, that not... super fitting to your game. It's like, you know, always, always, you know, just in general, just try to be kind of getting better as you go along to better, better per word rates for writers, better, you know, just ramp it up a little bit every so often
1: and try i mean yeah classical uh, economics that. undervalues labor and overvalues entrepreneurship right this is this is a thing the that, that's why we have billionaires who have who make so much money off the labor of all these people without doing that much right um and so uh something that i do to to try and help that is, i've only done one kickstarter so far but i'm working on more is we always have stretch goals or pay everyone more. Just pay everyone more. It doesn't matter what you did in the project. If you're a copy editor, if you were illustrator, if you were um, a layout designer, uh, if you're a, c- a consultant, just pay everyone more because um, uh, a lot of these things are very collaborative pieces, and it and a lot of people like even writers like 10 cents a word, which is higher than industry standard, is a very low wage for writers it's very low for writers right um but we accept it because that's what the standard is um but um so so we just say pay everyone more because like craig said people are probably underselling themselves
0: yeah another thing that i cannot recommend more is if you can afford it in your project getting like uh hiring a person who is like your art director, Um, because your art director will not only make your entire game better, we're working with Aaron Radney right now, and he's been great um, uh, with, like, helping us create this visual a vision, literally a vision of our game uh, that we're currently working on, and he is going to help pick out artists that also go with that style, filling in all of the strengths that I don't have and that Alex doesn't have, Um, and just elevating the game and this that is labor that is really valuable for a game it it makes your job easier as a game designer you can focus on the things that you want to focus on instead um and is you know like when you put that trust into this into another art into an art director for your game you also get different perspectives on your game that you might not have ever thought of. Erin um, has contributed already so much to our game that it's not even funny. It's 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 terrific, um, and uh, yeah, it's. I would really recommend that if you can afford it. Um, I, I I feel like my money has been well spent. <laughs> <laughs> In that regard, I know that not every um, game designer can afford that, um, but there. Luckily, there are lots of options from free to extremely, extremely costly um, that that you can always find within your budget. If you if you can't afford to pay your your artists or your writers, well, you can't afford to have them. And you figure can make, something can else. Do
2: combinations. <laughs> mm-hmm a little bit of art, like, little like, bit of like, graphic stuff a little bit of art you know uh, painting or something that's you know historic um especially like the indie scene if you're doing something that's like you're not working for like you know you're not one of the big companies one of the, the well-known companies that has very specific art styles and um you know like you're doing an indie thing like you, you might be surprised at what people will be like oh hey check this out like they they used artwork and they've got this cool graphic stuff and they they've got like actual photography in there as well and um, you, know, you, can yeah, find, like, uh, you can find things that complement
1: each other. Polaris, right? Polaris uses all open source um, Sumerian or something artwork, um, and it looks gorgeous. It, it all, all the art in Polaris is uh, is historical and open source, and it's really not the not the science fictiony um, newer game. The older one, which is like black and white, not Polaris. There are two Polaris RPGs. Um, But uh, yeah, and they did a great job with that, you know, so.
0: Yeah, um, something too I just remembered I wanted to bring up as well when we're talking about little cheats that you can do um, with your you mentioned the cover that you uh, had commissioned and your, your graphic designer pulling elements from that. I was looking the other day at this game called Dial M for Monster. I was looking at different layouts and what they don't have a lot of unique art in the book but they have this kind of running sidebar that looks like film reel going on. And they repeat some of those images, but it still works. Uh, it's not, you're still getting that visual element on, on the screen in a way that feels more like a graphic design element than an mm-hmm. illustration at that point. And then they combine that too with what is, at least clearly to me, it, it, maybe it was commissioned art, but pulp open source, pulp movie posters. Yeah, um, yeah. and there, Yeah, you can be creative with it with it. Um, and if if you're in doubt, there are artists that you can always ask and artists have their, their, um, oh gosh, I don't have the word for it, you know, the sheet where they say all their rates, they, mm-hmm. <laughs> they have their rates, they have their rates available. Usually you can scope out and do a little bit of shopping for lack of a yeah. word.
2: And there's also you can you can spot in if you find the right the stuff that kind of fits what you're looking for too. There's stock art. You can fill out your pages like you have. Maybe you only can afford six nice pieces of artwork um, that are commissioned, but you've got stock art from this particular artist that's doing stuff that kind of fits your your your, your genre or whatever, um, and and stylistically works. And you can use that to kind of, especially, that works especially well with like quarter page pieces and little spot illustrations where you can add little things in there and then let, and then save the money to be spent on like the half page and and full page pieces that you can afford.
1: And I feel that because of the ubiquity of things like Dungeons and Dragons, um, those are a particular art style, right? But that doesn't mean that your RPG, even if it's a fantasy combat-oriented RPG, needs to have the same art style. In fact, it'll stand out more if it does not have the same art style, right? Um, people just say, oh, you just have made a DD and clone. Even if your game is very unique, it looks the same, right? If you don't go for that hyper, like, uh, a representational sort of art style uh, and for something different. Uh, you know that sort of as well, takes a long time to make. Um, maybe your game will be cooler because of that. Like right? Morkborg, everyone's like, "Wow, what is this cool, weird, bizarre art style for Morkborg, Right? A lot of people don't play the game even, and like, "Oh wow, I'm get this game!" But everyone who's listened to podcasts probably has one or two games on their shelf that they've never played. Right. Every single person listening to this podcast has that. Right. And often the experience of getting a game is reading it, imagining playing it, imagining, ooh, I can make this character, then never playing that. Right. And the art, if it's cool, interesting, will will still fulfill a function. It'll fulfill the function, those functions. Right. Enjoying the reading of it, and if it's unique and different, it doesn't. It, it will. It'll be great. Right. So. yeah
2: And. Um just a, a bit of advice for people who if you're working on a game right now is start collecting artists right now. Mm-hmm. Um, if you see something interesting on Twitter or Facebook, you go to DeviantArt or ArtStation or whatever, just like start like start making, you know, writing just just copy paste links down, get them down in there. Especially if it's stuff that's a little out of the ordinary, but that would fit like kind of what you're looking for because I mean, I'm a big believer in like like the painterly style that Sharon was talking about, which is like D and D is like very highly representational, like looks realistic. That's expensive as heck. It's 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 in a lot of games, but you can do some really interesting things. Like you know, Aegon has like some really unique artwork.
1: Um, I mean, John Hopper did all the art himself. Yeah, so well,
0: the, yeah, the yeah point, if you're a that... game designer who can do art i hate but, you but if you can write the, the
1: writing the game design the illustration and the type of everything <laughs> right not right.
2: fair <laughs> but very unfair but you know keep an eye out like i, I came across an artist like i came Sorry. across an artist literally this week and i said that's my artist if i ever do a greek like an ancient greece game because like the, the person the, the artist does this really interesting kind of colorful but it still feels very much like you know kind of greek pottery Kind of mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. Um, and I'm like, if I do a Greek, if I ever do a Greek era, you know, ancient Greek game, that's the artist, <laughs> um, and just start, you know, finding those. Like, if you find like, oh, this is like really like lovely watercolor that would make for like a great children's yeah. game, um, you know, kind of set that set that artist aside. If you ever make a little kids game that you want something like really cute and like light yeah. colors
1: and soft and fun, um, like I feel Bluebeard's Bride, Aegon, and Spire are three games that I feel have the most particular art style i mean also more grow, but i don't i don't I'm, own more i'm super
2: jealous of the artwork inspire i would love to have like i'd love to right? make a game that does that that art and actually i'm gonna throw this out there because um it's getting closer and closer and jess knows about this because you've seen it um i uh i found an artist a couple of years ago and now now two years later i am designing a game to fit their art so because fun. i like that art so much and i thought no but this is this is so different from stuff i've seen before
1: and that happened with tales from the loop right yeah that, the, 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 loop, like, the, the painter made these paintings and people let's make a game out of here the painter created a whole world
2: of that was just you know conveyed in like short essays and and paintings
0: yeah. um, and, and
2: now it's yeah. become a series of games that's why art
0: is so important
2: yeah and (laughs) it does that
0: to your brain
2: a quick quick aside into um geez this is a episode unto itself um is how to convey to the artist what you want done is something called an art order it is something that is done by a role called the art director um if you you can be the art director or you can hire someone to be the art director um or you can also kind of do a very collaborative thing where you kind of come in with an idea and then the artist and you really sit down and hash it out and figure it out kind of together. Um, but one way or the other, you have to convey what's in your head <laughs> to the artist. Mm-hmm. And so um, without getting into a great deal of detail into what art direction is, it's worth just mentioning that it's something you should you know start to think about and, and research a little bit. And Really what it comes down to is providing enough information to the artist to create each individual piece and the art the art orders are like in a specifically an order for every piece of art you know what you want to describe each piece and with enough detail that the artist knows what you're going for but not with so much that you rob them of the ability to be creative
1: mm-hmm.
2: um, and one of the shortcuts to all of that and something I've started to do and a lot of people do and I've done it specifically with a couple of games because I was creating like whole, uh, creating a world whole cloth, where I wasn't doing like an alternate history game where it's like, oh, here's a bunch of photos of things in the 1920s. Beth, you know, do comic book art that looks like that, <laughs> um, which is to do an art an art bible um, up front, which which might be. Um, a series like with good strong hands for what for example what I did was I described each of the folk each of the quote-unquote races in the game like what do they look like and I provided some some examples of artwork of like like this is like you know um like air air spirits that are called sylphs like they should look wispy and all this and so I found like you know a cool piece of art that wasn't like a sylph but it was like this ghost thing I was like that's what I want my air spirits to look like kind of like that but in your style um and then um, something I did, too, that sometimes you'll see with um, concepting, of, of this concepting up early, is doing what's called a mood board. Um, and I did that for a game that went on the shelf for a while and that I have now returned to and I'm working on again. But it was like, uh, it has to do with um, playing a prog- playing programs that are within, inside of a computer, um, like Tron, right? But I don't want it to look like Tron. Um, but it, I want it to look like you're a program in this virtual world inside this computer. And so I got talking with the artists and the artists, um, you know, we, we hashed a bunch of ideas out. And then the artist put together like a whole bunch of it's like a collage of just like of suggestions and ideas and, and representations of like, you know, well, what about, you know, here's a here's a shot of like, you know, a line um, like a old line style video game like um, uh, Tempest or uh whatever the I can't remember what the one was that's like you, you you play you're in a tank and you're roaming around the battlefield but everything is lines you know it's uh-huh, um, uh-huh. Like, um you know like what about having like the 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 far distance looks like that and as you get closer like things become more physical and solid and we just toyed around with a lot of different ideas like what does You know what do what 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 does um, you know you're inside of a computer so what does it look like when something's not functioning what does it look like Uh, what does a city look like what does a town look like what what do people look like what do monsters look like, Um, and just all sorts of ideas it's just like literally like like you might have done a collage when you were a kid was like cutting stuff out of magazines and just slapping it on, um, you know gluing it on 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 a uh, uh, on a board, Um, but you can get a lot of ideas kind of laid out for that so, you know if you're creating a world whole cloth. Um, especially if it's something that's kind of out of the ordinary that you can't easily find references for. Those are ways to, to delve into that. And the more you can get the artist involved, and keep in mind, concepting is not your artwork. Concepting costs money, too. Mm-hmm. Um, have the artist, you know, pay, pay the artist for spending the time helping you create the look of the mm-hmm. world before they actually do any art Mm-hmm. Um, That's still although, labor. Al- although it's still labor and you might get a few pieces. You can also like what I did with the, the artist I worked with was I talked and said, you know, like I want to get six pieces of artwork out of this. In addition to all the general concepting you do, I want to have like a portraiture of like six different character types so that we really hammer, we really figure those out. So we'll have six illustrations that are like literally things I can use in the book. Um, but then everything else is just like, well, this is kind of what generally everything looks like. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Art it's like a huge a part of the of game work. so there's so there's so much stuff we could continue on too i i, I really wish I, we had more time to talk about these mood boards because i am a huge mood board person
2: well and yeah. what i may do too is because i went through a very like quite a process with it There's i've got a lot of images from mood boards and concepting and sketches yeah. and all this kind of stuff is that when that game is like done and ready and out and all that sort of thing we could potentially return to this and we can do this with you me and Talking heads in little boxes, and have a big box, and I'll show everybody.
0: Yeah, let's do that. Like somewhere.
2: the actual stuff? And we, we'll, because we we've we've talked Jess about like as this show kind of grows and evolves, and you know we may start to do like okay, here's a whole hour on this thing rather than mm-hmm. doing like three topics at a shot. It's like every so often, we might really deep dive into something. We're still just getting our feet wet with the show. So speaking
0: of three subjects, though, because yeah. we wanted to talk about interactive fiction and. I want to do that still.
2: Okay, so and that is
0: that's our potpourri topic for away, today. Man.
2: You're you're both the uh you two are the experts. Go for it.
0: <laughs> okay. Well, I wanna pick up on a conversation that we started and then I halted immediately afterwards. And that is this program called Inc. And I like what have you explored at all, Sharon?
1: Yeah, a little bit. So I was at a, a NarrowScope conference two years ago where we had a whole uh, a professor uh, present about how he uses ink to teach. Uh, I think his class was creative writing actually, Jess. Uh, and one of the things he taught with was ink. So ink is a free version of Inkle, which is what Inkle Studios uses to make games like um, 80 Days, which is familiar of people It won tons of awards or Heaven's Vault, uh, those games all use Inkle. It's another easy to use um, uh, tool that lets you make narrative slash text-based games. The most, I would say probably the most popular one for choice-based stuff is Twine, uh, which has a lot of documentation, a lot of versions, a lot of support. Um, Inkle is, an, is another big one. And then if you're into parser based fiction, which is where you literally type in mm-hmm. pick up the book, eat the book, fart mm-hmm. on the book or whatever, um, The into uh, uh, Inform, in Inform seven, five, seven, I think it's seven, um, is the most popular one. But yeah, Ink is really good. It's also really good for quick, short projects. Uh, it also has a particular aesthetic that's different from twine. Um, uh, and I, I was thinking of maybe incorporating it into one of my classes. Uh,
0: yeah, it's it's great. Uh, interactive fiction. If you don't know, the best, the the probably the cultural thing you have in your mind is choose your own adventure books are a form of interactive fiction instead of a traditional narrative that goes from beginning, middle, end. Near uh, interactive fiction, the reader is an active participant in the story. It, very much in the same way as a tabletop rpg except there are different paths that you can go down um i i love them that's what got me into role-playing games in the first place like i remember playing stuff on rinkworks.com which is still an amazing website with some really fun games on it um and just being really into it and then on neopets and they had their own they had their own program in Neopets where you could make your own choose your adventures and people would make their own stories. And it just was a way to get my imagination going as a kid, like a, an elementary st- school student.
1: And like not- the Whitney Museum has featured Porpentine interactive fiction in their biennial, for example. Right. So the the scope of what interactive fiction is can go all the way from high art at the Whitney Museum to like, yay, we're kids playing Neopet stuff. Right. And mm-hmm. there's a lot that happens in between.
0: Well, there's the um, not VanderSnatch.
1: Yeah. Is uh, Bandersnatch that? is the is. Oh, oh um, yeah, it is called Bandersnatch. Is it the, Bandersnatch? Um, yeah, the, the, the Black Mirror episode. Yes. Which won a huge Nebula Award. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: So yeah, people love this stuff because as a reader, you get to do the decisions and you're playing the game by yourself. Unlike with a tabletop role-playing game where you are often at the behest of other players or maybe even a GM at the table, unless you're playing a solo game. Yeah. Um, And the story is told for you still, even though you get to be an agent in the story. And yeah, I I love Ink. I'm making a story in Ink um, based off of a story my dad told me, um, a story idea that he had. Um, So I'm turning it into a game and my plan is, he does not watch this podcast, my plan is to surprise him with this game that he can play in the story world that he created. Um, Yeah, it's uh, Ink can be a little bit difficult to use. I like Twine because-
1: Very visual.
0: Yeah, you it has that visual mapping that you can use and then you can go in and put the the actual programming in. Whereas with Ink, you have to have a little bit more knowledge about programming. Um, I really like it though, because I, I feel like, at least for me, the way my mind works, Ink worked better for me. When it came to actually doing the programming and doing the things I wanted to do in it, but Twine has been
1: you taught yourself how to do it, right? Yeah,
0: I did. It was it wasn't too hard. Um, but also Neopets taught me how to program a few things, so I had those a little 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 bit.
1: Both have a lot of user friendly documentation (laughs) that you can teach yourself. Um, how to do basic stuff.
0: Oh yeah, if if you want to learn you. They have all the stuff there. And then there are people who have done video
1: tutorials. Jess, can you give some examples of free, good, interactive fiction that listeners or viewers might be interested in if they're not familiar with the form? If you give some, I can give some.
0: Birdland is one of my absolute favorites. It's so good. It's by Brandon Patrick Hennessy. And it is the story of an anxious camper... Um, at a summer camp and she is plagued at night by dreams or nightmares of bird people asking weird questions about-
1: Pirates and like, yeah.
0: So like different job, different aspects of humanity. Yeah. It has a great twist, it has a great queer romance. It's great and it's one of the games I use to introduce my students to interactive fiction.
1: Yeah, it's such a, it's, and it, it's visually, it's an, it's an example of a Twine game that I think uses sparse color and graphic elements very effectively.
0: And there uh-huh. there is one scene in that game, too, that uses some programming very effectively. Um, I, I don't want to spoil it, so go play it, and I think you'll know what I'm talking about. Uh, uh, <laughs> and yeah. it also uses stats in a very interesting way, too.
1: Very interesting way, yeah. Um, I'll give, I'll give a blanket one and a specific one. So, um, Sub-Q magazine was a, um, literary science fiction fantasy magazine for interactive fiction that ended last year. Check it out. There's some really famous like Hugo and Nebula award-winning writers who've written for them. All the games are very short. They're like 10 minutes maximum. I have two games in it and one column of essays in it. So check that out. Another one I would recommend uh, it's not free, but there is a free demo and then I would recommend getting the game. You can get it on mobile where it's cheaper. It's called Open Sorcery. Uh, It's by Abigail Korfman. I assign this to my undergrads every year. Uh, You play a elemental of fire and C++ um, <laughs> where you are a you are a elemental that was programmed by a programmer you're a magical programmed being uh, and it, it's really clever that you're not human it's really cleverly does that and you solve puzzles figure out there are many many endings uh, and it, it, it captures the aesthetic of you being a computer program made of fire in, in a very cool, unique way. It also uses minimal things like color and typography. in a, And was, since we're talking on art, right, it uses color and typography and no illustration in a amazingly effective way. I always assign it to my students. Um, uh, that's a really good one. So these are good examples of choice-based um, interactive fiction. There are other kinds, like there's parser-based interactive fiction. I know a lot less about that, so I will not give you good examples.
0: Hitchhiker's that, Guide to the Galaxy. There is a parser-based text adventure. Very, I like, Hitchhiker's slightly Guide. Old, it's, right?
1: Slightly old, right? Yeah. Yeah,
0: it is old, but it's so, and it's really hard. It's, oh, it's, it's
1: very one of the hard, hardest
0: though. ones yeah. I've played. It's yeah, really yeah, it's fun. fun.
1: And, um, also, it is one thing interesting to know, and this goes into even higher things that not all interactive fiction is predicated on the idea that the user is making choices, right? So, I co-edited um, Strange Lust, Strange Love, which is releasing this fall through Strange Horizons magazine for free, so it'll be available for everyone. And when I was talking to our writer, which also includes me, um, we were like, um, I, your interactive fiction doesn't have to be about agent player agency, okay, it can be about non-player agency, right? Um, uh depression quest which is very famous because it sparked gamergate uh in some sense uh is a really cool game because when you don't have agency right but um when we talked about that we're like don't necessarily think of it as player agency that is just one attribute in interactive fiction think when i said i'm like there are many other things that make interactive fiction interesting the act of clicking on something is different than the act of turning a page, right? And some interactive fiction stories use these affordances of the digital sphere of the non-linear digital story in very unique ways. So check out the stuff in sub-Q, check out Birdland is delightful. It's great. Um, uh, and yeah, start exploring the world of I- IF. It's often abbreviated in the circles as IF, <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah.
0: Yeah. And then go make your own because you're going to want to after you're done.
1: And there, <laughs> the thing is, they're easy. Like when I I, when I teach the intro to video game design class, we start with analog games. Then we do some twine games. Then we do some more analog games. Then we do graphical video games, right? Um, because they're easy to teach yourself. You will also learn basic programming concepts. So a lot of my undergrads have no um, computational not competition, Have no programming knowledge at all, and it's a great way. Like, okay, here's how variables work, right? Twine teaches you that mm-hmm. in, in ways, right? Um, so it's they're easy to use. You can publish games. Hio makes it very easy to publish mini Twine games. The market for Twine games on Hio is enormous. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some like cutesy ones. There's some super explicit ones. There's a whole gamut of like. Um, cool interactive fiction, Uh, and some of them do really experimental work, some of them do really non experimental work, yeah.
0: Yeah, I think like some of the most interesting experimental type games I've played have been interactive fiction. I'm thinking like Doki Doki Literature Club, which subverts the tropes of visual novels.
1: Yeah, Um, and like a visual novel is a form of interactive fiction, there's just a few more pictures in it.
0: Yeah, and and- (laughs) often a little bit less like as the element a little bit less agency
1: You're right um, right
0: than uh than some other like don't
1: of- the literature Club breaks the fourth wall in such interesting ways right like yeah. one of my students wrote their final paper on doki doki literature club this year and how the form like breaks so so yeah in references is cool um yeah what else and do you have any questions about it Craig?
0: yeah Craig. sorry <laughs> we we're like hey let's talk about this really excited, <laughs> so just
1: yeah. i've been absorbing
2: all of this and suddenly realizing that i'm designing ones yeah that's you are thing. yes the yeah. game that
0: you're playing the thing, is
2: the thing that i'm working on right thinking. now that's kind of kind of still secret mostly
1: um yeah. that's interactive fiction yeah I, like, can you talk a little bit about because both of us use interactive fiction in the classroom setting
0: Oh, yeah. Um, So for me, it was my first experience this year using, like, getting my students to write interactive fiction. Uh, We're half, we're hybrid right now, so everything is very painful. Right. Um, (laughs) But uh, I introduced them with two of Brendan Patrick Hennessy's works. So one was You Will Make a Decision, um, which is a satirical faux-Soviet game. Um, So I was showing them, okay, look here here's an example of a very quick start to finish because one of the choices ends the game immediately it's the good choice you stay home you listen to your parents and you stay home good choice you're done um and then i introduced them to birdland and i had them play through the game because not everyone has you know even read a choose your own adventure book not yeah. everyone has had that experience so yeah. introduce your students to it and then i talked um we we discussed um why people might be attracted to these sorts of games. Why? Why is this different as an experience? We had a lot of discussions on that. Um, And then I showed them um, Markiplier has an interactive fiction YouTube series called heist, and people have mapped out the entire game. Um, So I showed them the tree. And we went through like, if you were to make one of these like play through once you would only see this much but here's the rest of the game and here's what you're going to do in the next two weeks um the hard part was with my with my high schoolers you know high schoolers they're very ambitious they really want to do things um and but part of teenagerdom is that you don't really have a good hold on what you can do uh so it was i don't want a lot i want three different endings It doesn't matter what the middle is. I want these choices to end in one of three different endings. You start, here are your parameters and you can make whatever you want. You wanna make a fan fiction about your favorite anime, go for it, plot it out first. I had them plot it out with a regular map and then I had them take it to Twine and showed them like how those mind maps work directly with Twine. not everyone got to the programming portion, but a lot of my students who already knew programming because they were taking um, oh, classes. Yeah, um, they they produced some games and used, you know, these. They, they really like to subvert things too. They like to subvert expectations. Teenagers do always. So mm-hmm. they they made they came up with some really interesting stuff. Um, so it was very basic, but um, I really felt like it engaged my students a lot. And is a new way, uh, uh, an exciting way to teach, you know, some of those writing conventions, like plotting and tone and satire, even.
1: Yeah.
0: I used I, it, too, for my contemporary teach, literature class.
1: Yeah, you can teach a lot with interactive fiction, just like you can teach with fiction, right? You can look at literary theory. Uh, there's also, like, for example... Uh, um, um, Kat Manning and Emily Short have a lot of, like, blog posts looking at literary theory of interactive fiction. Um,
0: Emily Short and, is uh, how I found Birdland in the first
1: place. Right, but right. Emily Short's amazing, right? Um, mm-hmm. And then you, you there's also a wealth of scholarly literature on hypertext and nonlinear fiction, right? Like, Espinosa comes to mind readily, um, talking about the, like, literary, uh, scholarly, theoretical ideas of the textons and the scriptons and traversing them in different order, all this stuff, right? That's actually really interesting from a media studies perspective. Um, And also, just assigning students uh, this is a different kind of assignment that will engage them differently with your material, right? And I always am a proponent of that. One of my favorite classes in undergrad that was on the humanities side was um, uh, an, uh, an Icelandic sagas course, where the final was not write a paper, it was to write an Icelandic saga, right? Um, and that was something like, wow, that's a new thing we're doing. This is cool. So similarly, if you're like to your students, this is a new thing, we're doing a Twine game, that's cool. And also, um, there is a thrill to be had by especially younger students when you have a finished functional mm-hmm. video game right like they might quibble about video game but once they start doing it, like oh my god ee! right like yeah
0: like look i can click and it goes to the next page
1: it goes somewhere <laughs> and it's like they, you feel really great having made this even if it's like super basic super simple it just feels good and that will motivate students so for all of you who are out there who are like teachers and things is great also we talk about gms if you're like gms it's a great opportunity to make a new kind of puzzle for your players, yes. right? You can have intera- a little interactive fiction puzzle that they're solving. Um, and then at the end of it, great, you solved it. You can now enter the temple or you have hacked the mainframe or whatever, you know?
0: Yeah, it's it's a way, like doing projects like this, not only is it the top of Bloom's taxonomy and everything, the creation <laughs> uh, portion, <laughs> you know. The, uh, not only is it there, but it gets them thinking about their thinking they're thinking not just about the, the the content but they they have to use all of these meta skills and mm-hmm. and um all just it's activating so much of their learning it's something that will stick with them later on down the road and they do feel proud at the end it's not an essay no one's ever going to care about that essay again but they might show that game to somebody
1: mm-hmm. and
0: they might think Okay, no one, no one really has a career in essay writing. I mean, there are essayists, but you know, that's like literature. No one has a career writing, just writing essays about the Shakespeare. They're, they're <laughs> usually something else. They're usually doing other things too. But there are people who make careers doing games. It is something valuable. It is something that they feel like, oh, I'm not just wasting my time reading another book, for example. Um, and public school teachers twine is free you can all the resources
1: for them for it are also free
0: for free and then that is i know a really big selling point <laughs>
1: <laughs> and like, just to reiterate though um we've been talking a lot from an education standpoint but like like i said earlier there's a, a vast range of what's there in twine right there's like fine art twine there's the interactive fiction that's super literary that's interactive fiction that's porn that's literally there just for erotica. There's stuff that's pulpy and adventurous. Like, there's a lot. Uh, I it, We encourage you to to explore the wonderful world of interactive fiction. And if you're into tabletop RPGs, playing interactive fiction will uh, undoubtedly give you cool ideas about your RPGs about both mm-hmm. as a player, especially as a GM, you'll think about how do you uh, how do you distribute story, how do you scaffold if if you have a very um, very um, plot driven campaign, which is not super like sandboxy, how do you disperse that story in cool ways? You will get ideas of that by playing some of these um, IF games, yeah. and also they're fun things to do. They're another form of art. That's great.
0: And Craig, your your game, when, like, I've, I've, I, I, I had the chance to read um, at least a portion of it, does blend in a lot of ways. You're, you're exactly correct. Like, this idea of the interactive fiction with a solo RPG style, which is, a el- it's not quite, these genres, yeah. they're so nebulous.
1: Yeah. yeah.
2: Well, it's, yeah, and it, I mean, it, it's. I I just, I get the feeling that it is like, yeah, it's in that, it's in the neighborhood, right? It's, it's, uh, it's, it's, the thing that I'm designing is is in the middle of the Venn diagram of like three or four different things.
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah. And one of them.
1: And some like board games are flirting with that as well, like Mansions of Madness, the new one, uh, Sea of Legends, which I had the pleasure of writing for, have like these board game strategy elements, right? Resource management, but also make this choice about like, I had to write about like, what does it feel like to kiss a sea monster? Uh, because you can <laughs> choose to kiss them or not kiss them, right? Go back to romance. Uh, and like, do you want to help this guy or not? Like, there's interactive fiction elements blended in because they're fun. It's fun to have these authored choices and, oh, what'll happen if I make this choice? Ooh, what'll happen if I make that choice?
0: Sure. Well, this has been a lot of fun. We we are 15 minutes over the hour. No, we're not. We're not? Well, we, we,
2: technically, we are. <laughs> I, would, I, I thought you were going to say we're, like, 15 minutes over time or over the
0: No, I was just saying 15 minutes over the hour.
2: <laughs> um, Episodes are as long as they end up being. That's true. <laughs> time is meaningless.
0: Time doesn't mean anything. Time is a
2: human construct. It means nothing. <laughs>
0: do you think these birds know time no that's why they're asking a young anxious camper no the only reason Uh, the
2: only reason an hour means anything important to us is because a bunch of people you know how long ago decided that an hour is something that you know means something
1: i i read when i worked in corporate consulting briefly we felt we there was a thing which said if you make meetings 55 minutes instead of 60 minutes People are happier. They're more productive. Blah blah. Not because five minutes means you can do a lot, but because the perception of the meeting—they
2: don't, don't feel like they just spent an well, let's—they yeah. don't feel like they just wasted an hour. Right, right, right. An right. hour has meaning. It's yeah. It's you know why does why does something sell better if it's nine ninety nine versus ten dollars?
1: Right, right, yeah.
0: yeah. Time. I mean, time. that five minutes, I can, I can undo a whole bad night's of sleep with just a five minute snooze. Come on. Now.
1: <laughs> napping, <laughs> napping is very good for you.
2: All right, Sharon, um, thank you so much for joining us. This was a lot of fun.
1: Thank you for inviting me.
2: Uh, tell us again where can people find you.
1: Yeah. So um, again, my name is Sharung Biswas. I'm most accessible on Twitter at Sharung Biswas. That's the same spelling. Um, I have that links to, but I have a um, itch page which is astrolingus.itch.io. Think star-tongued. Um, and uh, yeah, those. Are, that's where I'm, my itch doesn't have all my game because I get a lot of commissioned games that I don't put on itch and stuff and also do a lot of interactive theater stuff which doesn't go on itch um but check that out um latest uh project um check out in fall on strange horizons look out for strange lust strange loves an anthology of erotic interactive fiction from Pelgrane press we released last year um honey and hot wax which is an anthology of larps about sex and i am currently designing so watch out i'll be kickstarting over the next few months um something that i used like crowdfunding and advice from friends to name. It is called uh, The Gourmet's Guide to Alchemical Boyfriends, which is a single player role playing game where you are actively eating from a snack plate while listening to like audio dramas or clips and then creating narratives about building your best friend, a perfect alchemical boyfriend after a breakup, so. That's terrific.
0: you can find my far smaller resume at anything under wannabe games. It's our stuff on wannabegames.com, itch or drive through RPG. Um, or you can f- follow my tweets at at Josska. I don't always tweet about, um, games, but, uh, I, if you want to check out my romance game, it's, this is how, which is on itch. And it is based on, um, a a novel that I read called "This Is How You Lose a Time War," which is wonderful. Whoa! Yeah, it's great. Uh, the the book is great. Hugo
1: Award uh, winning, I think, or it's won like a bunch of awards. Yeah. The, the
0: the book is the book is amazing. Yeah. Um, or um, an interactive fiction game that Alex and I made called Three Threads. And, um, Craig, your closet was terrifying me because whatever is in your closet looks like a face, and it's not. So, Craig, haunted Craig. Where can we find you? <laughs>
2: <laughs> this is not a closet. This is my living area. It's just dark. I don't have the lights on. The oh. the, the background thing was doing weird stuff, and it was making things look weird, so I turned it off. Um, that's shelves and stuff behind me. Oh,
0: well, it's a shelf with a ghost. <laughs>
2: um, <laughs> uh, you can find me at uh, nerdburgergames.com. Uh, all the games are at rpg.com. if you want to get capers. Uh, the fancy-schmancy hardcover is the same cost as the print-on-demand from DriveThru, but you have to go to nerdburgergames.com to get that um the pandemic has put like 300 copies sitting in a warehouse not selling so you know buy a game (laughs) um but that's about to change because conventions are going to start back up again um and uh i'm at nerdburger craig on twitter uh i've got a kickstarter going right now that's just about over (laughs) it's funded and on its way um nowhereville uh you can find you can find that on Kickstarter, uh, and I'm designing other stuff, and I got way too much stuff going on. and I'm... <laughs> in, in a couple of months, um, you will not be listening to uh, the train and the sirens as often because I am moving. Um, the next time I talk to you on the stream or podcast, I will have closed on the condo.
0: And leave the ghost behind there's yep. no ghost it's just that <laughs> well there's
2: can you see that guy I don't
0: now see. i can see now it doesn't look like a ghost anymore
2: that's a piece what? of art that's a it's a it's a flaming skull green flaming skull
0: oh well that's not what it was it was a ghostly white face
2: on your yeah. shelf so sleep tight <laughs> anyway nightmares for everybody um <laughs> bye everybody
0: Bye. <laughs>